to Real Stories MKE. I'm Kim Shine, and we are back for another fabulous, ex-fabulous season, season four. Yes, season four. I'm Joel Dreesang. Ex-Fabula connects Milwaukee through real stories. Since 2009, Ex-Fabula has been hosting story slams and coaching storytelling workshops where people explore their true personal stories and put them into words. In this episode, you'll hear stories related to the theme meeting. Ooh, yeah, that is so right. And we are coming in hot for the first episode of season four. We're bringing you four true stories. You know how we do. But first, let's talk a little bit about meetings. I mean, sometimes they can feel like mind-numbing wastes of time. Like this totally mm-hmm. could have been an email or a phone call or a text or maybe just nothing at all. You know, Joel? Yes. But other times... They can bring butterflies and we're talking about, you know, love at first sight or drama when the vibes are off. Or you could even learn something when you meet someone that you knew before and you learn that maybe you or them, you're just not the same anymore. Yes. Yeah, sure. It could go anyway. It really could. Okay, so this is the part where we usually do a little anecdote. So this is awkward, yeah. but I remember the first time I met you, okay? And <laughs> I think I the thing, too, The actually. thing that impresses me <laughs> about, about the story is that it's not the meeting as yeah. much, but I didn't know you from Adam. Oh, my God. And I was told that okay. we might be doing a radio thing together. <laughs> uh, so I got a hold of you. I sent an email, and I said, you want to, like, get coffee or something? You don't drink coffee. I don't. Um, and mm-hmm. and you, t- you sent a message back saying, yeah, sure, I'll send you a message at the end of next week. And I said, yeah, right. <laughs> but th- what impressed me was at the end of the next week, yeah. sure enough, you sent me an email. And, and I, yeah, and I, I was impressed by that. I keep my Positive. word, you know. I keep my yeah, word. Yeah. And I actually. Not everybody does. That's true. And my memory is so bad. But I remember, I can actually envision, I see it. Our, By email? Our, no, oh. I, I don't remember that part at all. <laughs> but I do remember our first meeting. We, we were in Bayview. Yeah. Yep. It was fantastic. Right. So, yeah, we could talk about this all the time. But should we get into our first story? Yes, please. All right, let's do that. Our first meeting story, everybody, comes from MacArthur Antigua. At our reunion story slam in 2019, he shared how meeting his mother's family abroad taught him about the sacrifices that she made by moving away. Here's MacArthur. My mother is the youngest of 12. She emigrated over uh, from the Philippines in the 60s on a nurse's visa. Uh, And she married, she met my dad in Chicago, who was from the same village or the same area, Cebu City, uh, which is the Mactan Island of the Philippines. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't know each other. They only met through common people because they would have clubs of people who emigrated over and they would share foods and all that stuff. So they met through that. And my dad was the youngest of 12. Um, I think they tried their best to, to have me and my sister be in the ways of where they came from, but it was really tough because assimilation was the game. Uh, when we grew up in the southwest side of Chicago, also southwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, and uh, I lost my language, you know, when you're five because you don't want to be, you know, one of the few kids of color, you know, in a predominantly white school. You don't want to get your ass kicked even more having the accent or losing it. So learn how to speak in this way and, and all these things. So, so growing up for me always was this notion of uh, the Philippines to me was this place that my parents tried to tell stories and did their best to kind of have it, but there's this tug of like kind of leaving it behind or, or being away. Um, and to me, the Philippines were these little blue envelopes that had red and blue 
stripes on the edge and would come you know, every other time or, or packages we'd send back at Blue Jeans. But when we get to the notion of reunion, right, um, when I was 27, which is around 2002, my mom said, hey, we're going to go back to the, we're going to go to the Philippines. We'd love you and your sister to come with. Uh, by this time, I wasn't living at home. Um, and I hadn't been to the Philippines since I was four years old. That's 1979 uh, when my, my grandmother or my grandfather died. Uh, and I was too young to even know what that meant because I, I never knew these people. Uh, and so, in short, that's, that's what it was. It's like, well, we're going to go to the Philippines. And it's like, well, sure, I'll, I'll go. Um, I'm not paying for it, right? You're, you're comping the whole thing. And, you know, I'm 27 and had that kind of wage. So the, the thing was I went, and uh, me and my sister went together. And the thing is we don't, we don't speak the language, and it was going to be two weeks, and, and try to be, you know, open-minded about it because in a lot of ways, you know, I could look up some stories, but this is kind of before the Internet was, like, really good at that sort of thing. And, and so I went, and uh, it was kind of like a two-week state visit where you're just meeting all these people day to day. It's, it's sort of like you wake up in the morning, you go to auntie's house, a lot of aunties, um, and eat very heavy fried foods um, that are just like really heavy and fried in the middle of the summer, and you got to eat that plate uh, because you can't let that down. And, and so it's like, thank you, auntie, and you, you eat. And then you go to the next auntie's house, and there's another plate of fried foods, and it's like, oh, thank you, auntie. And like the, the jet lag's killing me, and I'm super grouchy because I don't know how to travel. Um, and, and quite candidly, like, I know my parents, I like my parents, I love my parents, I respect my parents, but we're not friends. And because that's just, we don't, I, I don't know, I don't want to say that's for all Filipinos, but we just, it's not what we do. I dig what they're about. If you ask them what I did for a living, they'd be like, he does things. Like, we're just not, like, there, right? And it's not hate. It's just legit, you know, we just do our own thing. Again, my mom worked the night shift. My dad worked the day shift. We did our thing. This trip was, my, maybe my mom thought it was going to bring us together. It didn't. It, it made me just more annoyed at my mom. You know, so it's because you're on a trip, a very intense trip, away from home, out of your rhythm, and everybody was getting on each other's nerves. And finally, it's like, we're going to go to another auntie's house. It's like, fine, right? And I'm doing, I think, again, the trip was comped, right? They paid for it, so I'm not going to be a dick about it, right? So, but I'm tired. I'm lagged. I'm like, fine. And so we take two hours of traffic out of Metro Manila to go to this home where there's yet another auntie. And it's, I'm kind of, a, I don't know if I'm embarrassed. It's just like, they got, I got 12 aunties and uncles. I, I couldn't, I might name four, Perfecto, Faustino, Genoveva, and then it's like, and the rest, right? It wasn't like that. But here I am. And again, it's the same bit where you introduce, you say hello, and then, and then it's like, yeah, you sit because you speak barely enough Tagalog to get five minutes, and they speak barely enough English. My mom is in another room, and, I, I'm, and you're just sitting politely and looking at each other. And it's like, oh, man, this is just so boring. Uh, and so I finally kind of snuck away to see where my mom was at, and she was sitting with, with Uncle Faustino, who was lying in bed, and he was in hospice. And she's sitting there with Faustino and a few other brothers and sisters, and I just sort of witnessed them sitting together silently looking not looking at each other just looking in the distance and I, and I just couldn't bear to imagine what it felt like to, to not see them after 20 years and this is the one time you get together and I, I just sat there because I couldn't possibly understand it um, and it, it's almost like a sun you, you want to look and feel it but it's so warm and I was a voyeur but I wanted to feel it because it felt so real uh, and all the Regret and all of the missed calls or all the missed moments were culminating in this one time. We wrapped up our visit. Uh, there was a few days later, but I think that was probably the moment where I really loved my mom.
Kim, in that story, uh, Mac shared some vulnerability, and mm-hmm. and I, I was there when he gave that story. And You're I always at the. No, I am not. You are. Um, and 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 now Mac is actually uh, he's been hosting some of our story slams. Really? So yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Kudos to him. Yeah. So, Kim, our second storyteller is Nora Sadava. Nora took the stage at the Now or Never Story Slam back in 2010. She tells about the time her partner met her family and, spoiler alert, there was some drama. Here's Nora. So, the Christmas of 2008 was the first and only time that I ever brought a boy back to meet my family. I thought it would be a really good idea because it's Christmas time, everyone's together, and Brian can meet them all at the same time. I didn't really take two things into consideration, though, one of which was that my brother's girlfriend was pregnant, and she was due to give birth on the 24th of December. The other thing is that my family's pretty intense under the best of circumstances, but I figured, okay, now or never, Brian's got to meet them sometime. Let's do it. So we got in the car, and we drove. We were living in California, and I'm from Canada. So we decided we were going to drive all the way up to, to Canada and drove through a crazy snowstorm and got there two days late on the 24th, the day the baby is due. It's Christmas Eve, and we're in Victoria on Vancouver Island with my whole family. So we get to the house, and... I look around and I realize what I've thrown Brian into. First, there's my mom, who is crying every five minutes in anticipation of the joy she will feel at becoming a grandmother. And also knitting so furiously. It's like she thinks this baby is going to have a disease that will make him cold all the time and that by her knitting, she's going to cure that disease. Then there's my brother, who's about to be a dad for the first time and doesn't really know what way is up or down. His girlfriend, who is nine months huge pregnant and can't, you know, can't sit down without feeling uncomfortable, is dropping cranberries on the floor for Christmas dinner and crying because she can't pick them up. (laughs) Then there's my brother, who hasn't smoked a joint in about five days because he's been with my family, and he's kind of... (laughs) a bit shaky and just staring at Brian's mustache because he thinks it's so cool. (laughs) And then there's my dad, who has this really strange habit of, like, zoning out. I mean, I do it too. We all kind of zone out sometimes. But instead of, like, staring off into space like most people, my dad stares straight at everyone's face. (laughs) And he does this weird thing with his finger where he, like, pokes his nose and stares someone right in the face. And he's doing this at Brian, like, the entire time that he's meeting him, just, like, staring him down, touching his nose like he really has something that he wants to communicate. You're stealing my youngest and only daughter. Um, So it's Christmas Eve, and the baby's due this day, but we go about our day, and we have Christmas Eve, fine, still no baby. We all go to bed, wake up Christmas morning, still no baby, have Christmas dinner, Go to bed again, still no baby. Everything is getting more and more intense. My mom's knitting more, crying more. My dad's staring harder. My brother's shaking a bit more. And the 26th of December, we we wake up, and there's still no baby. And I walk out of the bedroom, and I see my mom is on the phone. And so me and my brother 
gather around and we think, you know, this must be the baby. It's come, it's coming, it's on the way. And then her face goes completely blank and tears start streaming down her face and she's totally silent. And she hangs up the phone and she says, my mom's dead. And instead of this amazing rush of joy at a new life, this woman who has been such an inspiration to the whole family has been taken away from us. And so we're all crying and holding each other and I look over and Brian's kind of at the side of the room trying to figure out what to do and how to be and he's trying to be respectful but trying to comfort and trying to, and there's kind of some panic in his eyes. And my mom realizes Louis's not here, and Louis's my oldest brother who's about to have this baby, and so she gets on the phone to tell him that, that Granny Cameron has died, and she tells him, and then there's a beat, and he says, Rachel's in labor. And it's this amazing feeling of the passing of the torch, that this, this amazing bright light woman has passed her life onto this new life that's coming, and it's, we're all up and down and joy and tears and crying and laughing and Brian is getting even more panicky at the side of the room not knowing how to be joyful and tearful with this family. He was a bit crazy that he just met. So we were waiting and she's in labor and you think 25 hours is bad, try 37. <laughs> and by the end of that 37 hours, I don't think there was one thing in the house that was not knitted and that there was not a dry part of the ground and the hockey was blaring and my dad's still staring. And so finally we get the, the message, come to the hospital and we all go and we hold the baby and it's an incredible experience. And the next few days are filled with baby, baby time and it gets to the 31st of December and Brian and I have not been alone together the whole time. And so we decide it's New Year's Eve, we're gonna go out, just the two of us. We go to this really fancy hotel in Victoria, and we sit down with a drink. And for the first time, I look him in the eye since we got there, and it's like he's been through an earthquake. <laughs> it's like his eyes are wild, and his hair's standing on end, and he's been through so much with this family that he just met. And I realized we were at this point where we are going to cross into the new year in about two minutes. And we were either going to cross into the new year together or he was going to run <laughs> and I was going to run. And so I don't really remember what we said to each other, but I definitely remember our New Year's kiss. There was a lot of stuff going on in Nora's story, but I really enjoyed it, though. Yes. And the baby's love. Like, yes. Just everything. Family, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, how about we do some ultra shorts sure. right now? Because we haven't done those in a while. Not since season three. So uh, ultra shorts are little bits of stories that uh, they're short stories that, that people write down on slips of paper at our events. Mm -hmm. And um, I've got one right here. Oh, go right ahead. Host. This is from Aaliyah. I missed a Zoom meeting today. I showed up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed a full five minutes early just to realize the 1 p.m. start time 
was not Central Standard Time, but Eastern Time. I was a full 55 minutes late. Oh, I hate that. That's a meeting story, yes. I had a meeting once um, earlier this week, actually, and it was set to uh, Pacific Standard Time. Oh, my goodness. Luckily, the person emailed and said, I didn't set it up, but luckily the person emailed the group and said, hey, are we on the right? Thinking ahead there, yeah. (laughs) Right. This one is also from Anonymous. I was in a meeting in my boss's office, and I got my period. When I got up, there was a stain on the chair, and when she went to the bathroom... I switched the chair with a co-worker. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, at first, I thought she was going to switch it with the boss. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would have been interesting, huh? That is, oh, my gosh. Well, we have a third story, and this is from Matthew Lewis. During our Pride Slam in June of 2021, Matthew opened up about something that we all want in life, which is to be heard. His story is meeting someone who he felt understood him. Here's Matthew. thought about how Madison was one of those places where I felt the most unheard, the most invisible. And so in my mind, the moments where I felt something really stick out to me. And one particular night, and one particularly boring year, I was out with a former partner of mine and we went to this gay bar called The Shamrock. And it was terrible. We were there, and I was just like, you know what? This is where I need to be tonight. And sure enough, um, there were two black gay men. I know some of you were like, oh, that's, that's why it's that notable, because it's Madison, Wisconsin. And when you see three of us in one place, it means that it's a notable event. So um, the, they make eye contact with me. I make eye contact with them. And it's like, yes, let's all share a table. Um, so we're going to get to this table. And immediately something just says, this is home. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. I don't know these people. Um, but just like off the simple small talk, you know, it's just the vibrations. Ain't nothing but black vibrations, I have to say. So we're talking, and without even a, a trigger or a switch, just like a light, light reading session starts to take place. And it's my, I'm like, oh my gosh, someone loves me. So my partner, who was not black, um, was like, what is going on here? Why are you all being so mean to each other? Um, I was like, back down, face it to the side. I need this. Um, And while we're going, he's like quizzing me just on aspects of my life that's only like black elders do. I was like, well, what do you want to do? What do you think you want to do? I don't think you want to do that. I keep telling him that I'm an artist. I like to write. I'm an actor, I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. And he's, going, he's like, no, 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 He said, what's your backup plan? I don't have one. I know I'm gonna work to make money. So he's like leaning back, leaning forward, taking a sip of his drink. And he looked into my eyes and he just said, I believe you. And I don't know what it was about this bar at 11 o'clock at night with this strange man who I do not know, but him telling me that he believed me was like, <sighs> I can't find the words even though I tried to prep this story, but just something washed over me that said, yes, you hear me, you see me, all of these things that I'm saying are true. And it was something enough that I was like, when I was pushing to finish my degree in medicine, I thought about that night in the bar. Him saying, I believe you. 
And it's one of those moments that helped me finish get my degree. It's one of those moments that I think back and I was like, wow, I'm really glad I left that boy. It's one of those moments where I'm like, there's nothing like finding your people, even for the briefest of moments. I've never seen them again. But when I think about her, I think about that night, about him telling me, making me tell him over and over again, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. Not allowing me to give a second option. And that's what I think about when I think of her. I love Matthew's stories. He just has a, such a nice energy to them and speaks truth. And I, I love the messages. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, just strangers. You don't even know people sometimes, and they, they see you. They can make a difference. And yeah, people good. you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our fourth story comes from Craig Plain. At the X's Story Slam in season 14, Craig told a cringeworthy tale of the time he traveled across the country to spend a vacation with his girlfriend who, it turns out, had other plans. Here's Craig. It was a beautiful August day as I got off the plane in San Francisco. There to greet me was my girlfriend Jan, her sister, and her brother-in-law. Jan did not look particularly happy, but I thought I knew why. Let me back up and explain a little bit. Jan and I were both students at UW-Whitewater, where we'd been dating off and on for about eight months. Earlier in that summer, uh, I was her plus one to her sister's wedding. Small, beautiful, intimate affair, really nice. Everyone got along great, so great that her sister and brother-in-law invited Jan and I to visit them in San Francisco where they live. Cool, cool trip, all right. So we're planning the trip out, and I, well, I've got a summer job. I can, I've got to work to pay for school, and I can only afford to take one week off. So we're sitting there looking at the schedule, and, and Jan's talking about these high school buddies she has that live in the San Diego area. So we work it out that Jan's going to go visit her friends in San Diego. We're both going to fly into San Francisco on the same day. So there's only one trip to the airport. We can start a vacation together. Well, her flight was in the morning. Mine got delayed. So when I saw her unhappy, I figured, okay, she had to get up early, sit around the terminal for a few hours. No one's going to be happy about that. But then as we drove in from the airport into the city, the, the ride was awkward. It's more silence than conversation. And then when we got to the apartment, her sister and brother-in-law slid into their bedroom, closed the door. Jan sat on the couch, looked at me and said, we need to talk. Turns out a lot happened in San Diego. Jan explained to me how she fell in love with the city, the culture, the climate, the food, the ocean, the beaches, understandable, it's a great place. Then she mentioned how she reconnected with an old high school boyfriend there. Funny, he was never mentioned when she talked about her buddies that lived in San Diego. Well, evidently, this reconnection rekindled the romance, and this romance was so epic that he invited her to move to San Diego and live with him. And she accepted. You saw that coming, right? Well, I'm just sitting there dumbfounded. I mean, I, not so much at the end of the relationship. I mean, we had issues, and we hadn't committed to each other. We hadn't said those three little words to each other. But what I was having trouble with was here was a woman that agonized over a month at which comforter to buy to best suit the color palette of her bedroom, but she's making a snap decision to move halfway across the country with some guy she hadn't seen in three years. And I'm mulling this over, and Jan finishes up with the second most dreaded phrase you can hear in a relationship, I hope we can still be friends. Now, a normal person 
under normal circumstances, might say, it's a, it's a family show, right? Um, might say something like, no. <laughs> Maybe they strongly worded, heck no, I don't know. But I was in a precarious situation here. I didn't know anyone else in San Francisco I could stay with. I brought some spending money, but nowhere near enough to cover a hotel for a week. My discount airline ticket was non-refundable, non-changeable. And I couldn't charge anything. I didn't have a credit card at the time. So guess who became friends? Yay! <laughs> Fortunately, there's so much to do in San Francisco. You know, Fisherman's Wharf, Chinatown, Little Italy, uh, Japanese Tea Gardens, Gold Gate Park, the Museum of, Museum of Modern Art. And the great thing about these places is they could be done independently. So we'd go to Chinatown and be like, okay, meet you back here, end of the day. And we'd go our separate ways. So I ended up having an amazing time seeing the city and, and exploring the, the sites. And uh, the, mercifully, the, the week went by quickly. And we soon found ourselves on a foggy San Francisco Saturday getting on the plane back to Milwaukee. And as we took our seats, we, we ended up sitting next to this kid, 16, 17-year-old kid, and he was so excited. He'd just come in from a connecting flight where he got to see rock star Billy Idol. Got to meet him, got to talk with him, wanted his autograph, grabbed the nearest thing, which happened to be an air sickness bag. And he's showing us his treasure, and I'm just looking at Billy Idol on a puke bag. <laughs> and it just seemed to perfectly capture the essence of the last few days. <laughs> and it was a perfect ending to the week I had to spend in San Francisco with my ex-girlfriend. Thank you. Craig continues to throw his name in the hat at Exfabula events. He tells us he keeps his storytelling skills sharp, by incorporating them into his magic show, which he performs at local farmers markets and festivals. And I guess as we just heard, he already mastered the trick of the disappearing <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we had to do it. <laughs> How about some more ultra shorts, Kim? I think that would be perfect. Okay. I got one for you this sure. time. This one is from Joanne. Joanne said, visiting my college student daughter in 1992 in Nice. Dragging three large suitcases, she was waiting at the airport to meet me. French ground crews were on strike, so the flight was diverted to Milan. The airline said a bus would take us to Nice, but it never arrived. I didn't speak French or Italian, and I didn't have my daughter's phone number. A local man in Italy let me use his phone card to call home to get her number. 24 hours later, I was on a train from Milan to Nice, dragging those three suitcases, and finally arrived to meet my daughter. Uh, here's an ultra short from Brianne. About seven years ago, my roommate from high school and I started our college life. We had a quote-unquote dorm meeting. It was there that I pointed at a guy and jokingly said, there's my future husband. That guy and I got married this past June. Guess love at first sight does exist. It's those first impressions you make in meetings, right? Butterflies. Yeah, yeah there you the go. Beginning. Yes. Here's another one from Anonymous. And they say, my five-year-old daughter shared with me that she had butterflies in her stomach from meeting her crush. Ooh. When I first asked his name, she said she didn't know, but he had showed her his backpack that had superheroes on it. Mm -hmm. She looked at me with puppy love eyes and said, he told me the girl superhero is the strongest. And that just oh. makes me love him. Yes. <laughs> As well she should. Joel, I guess the time has come, as always. That, okay. And I hate this time. Well, no, that's all right, because that means we're closer to the next episode. You're right. 
Guys, that's all the time we have today for Real Stories MKE. But this is only the first episode of the season, like Joel said. We've been doing this for more than a decade, so if you're listening, you can find more audio and video stories at exfabula.org. And that's where you can also find upcoming story slams, storytelling workshops, and other ways to get involved with Exfabula, like becoming a coach or volunteering. You can also connect with Exfabula on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes, and come on out, join us at a story slam, maybe get on stage, share an ultra short, you never know. Mm, sure. For now, though, we've got to thank our Exfabulous staff, the storytellers, audio engineer Sam Woods, producer Lauren Instanis, so many people. And, of course, you, yes. our listeners, for Real Stories MKE, I'm Joel Driesing. And I am Kim Shine. Remember that everybody has a true story to share, so think about telling yours. Thank you.